It's good to see you tonight. I appreciate you being out on a cool evening. But where would we rather be than right here, right now, in this very place? We do have several who are out and about, some dealing with illness and others who have traveled away uh, for the coming week, and we want to continue to keep them in our prayers. But I did not make mention this morning, I make mention tonight, uh, we've got some special young ladies who are up from College Station, and uh, it's always good to see Hannah and Hallie, uh, very treasured, very current uh, members of this congregation. And uh, that's an inside joke, but we're glad you're here, and it's always good to see you. I was not going to say former members of this congregation, because they are not, if you ask their mama, they are definitely, definitely not. And so uh, anyway, we're so glad to see you in all seriousness, and uh, glad that we have holidays that bring in special visitors with us as well. They're not visitors, right? They're not visitors. No, special people who uh, are very, very current with this congregation. All right. Where am I? I want to mention tonight also, I was asked to make this announcement. Number one, there are keys that are missing. And there's a vehicle that's going to stay parked in this parking lot until those keys are found. And so uh, we are looking for those keys. And so if you see them, they're on a lanyard. They shouldn't be that hard to find. Uh, but please be on the lookout for those keys. Uh, maybe a young person picked them up on accident this morning. I don't know. But uh, parents, uh, check that out as well. But those keys need to be found and returned to the Mayfields. If, if you find them, please. And I also want to make mention tonight that Sister Patty asked me to make this announcement. We've got a nice, beautiful box that Patty put together for uh, the lip balm for the residents down here at... Uh, uh, what's the name of that? I lost it. Midland Medical Lodge. Thank you, ma'am. And uh, she needs some help tonight. If you can stick around for a few minutes, they're going to take those lip balms. She's got it all set up already over here in this room. Uh, They need to be bagged. And so uh, Patty has asked if you can stick around for a few minutes and help uh, put those packages together. We're going to put some pins and maybe some information on the congregation in those uh, with the lip balm for those residents. And so if you can stick around a few minutes and help stuff some of those bags. Young people, uh, I think you can be helpful in that as well. So uh, again, we're going to do that directly after services tonight. I just wanted to make that announcement. I want to pick up where we left off this morning. If you were here, we were looking in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Have your Bibles open. And I want to look here at, at what we find in this particular context. Before we get to Revelation chapter 2, I would ask you to go to the end of the book of Revelation, all the way back to Revelation chapter 22, And I want to look at the words of Jesus in verses 12 and 13, where we find Jesus speaking, and He says in verse number 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Again, we looked at very similar statements that Jesus would make in the beginning chapter, Revelation chapter 1, concerning Himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am A all the way to Z. I am the first, I am the last, I am the one who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. But Jesus says, and catch it in verse number 12, I am coming, and when I come, I am bringing with me my reward. My reward is coming. I began this morning by asking the question, is it okay for the Christian to ask, what's in it for me? And I think it is very much okay, done in the right way, with the right mindset, in humility, it can be asked, what's in it for me? Because Jesus is clear, there is something in it for me. My reward is coming with me. I am coming to reward you. 
I am going to give you all the incentive you need in order to be faithful to me. I have done absolutely everything I can do for you, and based on who I am and what I have done, I am coming to reward you who are faithful to me. It's a wonderful thought for us to be thinking. The incentive that God gives us, the incentive that Jesus provides for our faithfulness. Listen, I'm never going to deserve it and neither are you. There's not enough work that can be done. We're never going to earn it. And yet Jesus says, I want to reward you for what you're doing for me. I will reward your faithfulness. Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off. If you recall, again, this morning we were looking at these, uh, these very ideas about what it takes in rewarding the conquerors. There is a general pattern that we find in these uh, letters that Jesus addresses to the seven congregations in Revelations, uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where He's going to begin with the salutation, I know you, I, I know where you are located, I know what you're about, I know your works, I know what you're going through. And then he's going to provide, generally speaking, in, in five of the seven, generally this flow, a, a commendation. That is a positive statement. This is what I see. This is what I know that you're doing as well. And, and I'm praising you for what you are doing. But for generally speaking, we find that there's also follow, following that a condemnation. I see what you're doing that's good and right, but I also see what you're doing that needs to get corrected. A positive followed by a negative. And then an encouragement, an encouragement to stay faithful or an encouragement to repent, an encouragement to change and to go back to where you were, to do those things that need to be done. All of that is followed by a promise. It's always a promise at the end. To those who overcome, to those who conquer, Jesus says, this is what I'm promising you. This is a reward that is yours to be waiting on. Again, I said this morning that it is not good for me to stand up here, it wouldn't be good for me to stand up here and say that I'm the one who's promising a reward. I'm the one who's making a promise. Because I may not be able to keep that promise, right? But because of the one who's making the promise, that's why we take the time to study these things. It's, under, it's good for us to know that Jesus is the one who is making these statements that Jesus is the one, this is His revelation, chapter 1 and verse 1, and all of those verses again that we look at that would have summarized again over in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13 that we looked at a moment ago. Who is Jesus? He is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the end-all, be-all. He's the one that died but now is alive and is alive forevermore. He has always existed and He's always going to exist. And He says, I've got a reward for you. That's a wonderful thing for us to think about. If you weren't here this morning, I give these very briefly. Number one, we look at the church in Ephesus. And he says, if you will overcome, to those who overcome, I will uh, give you access to the tree of life. Access granted. That's the reward that is promised. Access to the tree of life. In the second place, we looked at Smyrna. And he says, I, this is the reward. This is what I want to give you. You will only die once. You don't have to die a second time. That eternal separation away from God, you never have to know what that feels like. You never have to endure that. You will never have to go through that at all. Jesus says, I promise you that if you will be faithful to me, you will only die once, which everybody's going to do. But that's it. Number three, he says, I'm going to provide eternal care, the hidden manna, eternal care and honor. 
that white stone, not guilty, with my name on it. I'm going to give it to you, and I will honor you in that way for eternity. And finally this morning, we looked at Thyatira. You will share in my triumph, Jesus says. Share in my spoils. I have the victory, and you get to share in my triumph for eternity. Brethren, these are good things for us to think about because they tell us what is waiting for those who are faithful. Why do I want to endure? Why do I want to go through it? Why? Because this is what's waiting. And it's good for us to look at. I want to pick up there tonight. And I want to go to the the congregation located in the city of Sardis. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 tonight. This morning we were in chapter 2. Tonight we find ourselves going through chapter 3 and the final three congregations that Jesus addresses. Now this one, if you'll notice, we're starting in the middle. This is a reverse order. This is the only time in these seven letters that Jesus is going to reverse the order in this way where he's actually going to offer first condemnation, and then you get to verse 4, and he will offer commendation. Positive actually comes after the negative. So let's just do it in verse number 4, looking at what he has to say in a positive way. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Notice that the commendation again, takes place after he's going to give them condemnation. But notice that God says, I know names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. If I were to ask you tonight, what what gives someone a good name? What makes someone have a good name? What, What makes it possible for us to even know certain names? Well, we talk about celebrity status. Oh, These are well-known names, right? Pop culture, celebrities. They have a name. Everybody knows their name. God says, I don't care about your fame. I don't care about your fortune. I'm really not interested in fame or fortune. I'm really not. That's not how I uh, look at you, and that's not what makes your name interesting to me. He says, I know those names, in verse number 4, who have not defiled their garments, those who have not rebelled against me, those who have not rebelled against Christ. That's the name. Jesus says, I know. I know those who have not rebelled against me. Does he know my name like that? Does he look at me and say, I know his name. He's one who has not rebelled against me. He's not gone against me. He's keeping his garment white. He is worthy because of what he's striving to do in the relationship that he has with me, Jesus says. But before he has said this, we back up to verse number 1, and he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, though you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. And if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive. If I were to take a poll about those around you, and I were to ask people about that congregation in Sardis, people would say, that congregation is very much alive. Jesus says, I know about you. 
And I know that you're actually dead. You see, we can fool each other, but we're never going to fool him, are we? People can look at me as an individual. They can look at you as an individual and they say, you think that man's faithful? Do you think that woman's a faithful child of God? And people would say, you know what? Based on what I can see, it certainly appears they are. It doesn't matter what I think or you. But Jesus knows. That's what He's telling them. I know the truth about you. And I know that you are actually dead, though people look at you and they think that you are very much alive I know the truth. And so he offers that encouragement that we read there in verses 2 and 3. Strengthen the things which remain. Those things which are about to die. He said, you you have these works in you, these things that you're about, and, and it's about to fall off the vine. Build it back up. Be alive again. Verse 3. Remember where you were. Remember how you received and how you heard. Hold fast to that and repent. Jesus says, I I remember when you all started. I remember the way the congregation was. I remember how you responded when you heard the gospel. You remember how you felt when you obeyed the gospel, you who are Christians tonight? I remember. I remember how it felt. I remember how how excited I was. I remember I was ready to go. I I remember being uh, ready to tell other people about Jesus. And somewhere along the way, it's possible that that cools, right? It's possible. It's possible that happens in the life of a congregation. This ebb and flow. Where we just, for whatever reason, it seems to be this way. And Jesus says, look, I know where your heart is. I know that you want to be on fire. I know you want to be doing what is right. So remember how you felt and go back to that. And let's go. That's exciting. That's an exciting encouragement that Jesus is providing here to this congregation of His people. But in the end, He makes this promise. In verse number 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The promise summed up in God's book. What's the reward? The conquerors are rewarded by being in God's book. Where do you want to be? I promise you this, my friend. You want to be in God's book. That's where you want to find your name. There's nothing more important than being in God's book. When all of this life is over, when everything that we go through is gone, when everything we've tried to build up, when when all of the money is now behind us, when all of the relationships are behind us, there's going to be one thing that really matters, and that is my name in God's book. That's it. I want to let nothing distract me from being in God's book. I know something about God's book. You know, Jesus says a lot there in verse number 5. He talks about being clothed in white garments before He talks about that book. Being clothed in white garments, right? Now, let's think about those garments for just a minute. If you go over to chapter 7... The Bible says, I want to begin actually in verse number 9. I know I have verse 14 on the screen, but I want to actually back up to verse number 9. We're just studying the Bible together tonight. The Bible says this in verse number 9, that after these things, John says, I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Where are these people located? What's it say? Before the throne. See it? And before the Lamb. That's what it says in verse number 9. How are these people clothed? The Bible says in verse number 9 that they're clothed in white robes. Now the question is, who are these people? And that's where we drop down to verse number 13. One of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And John says, I said to him, Sir, you know... So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Did you know that you can take red blood and put it on a white robe or put it on a robe and it becomes white? That doesn't generally happen, does it? Blood generally stains red. Anything it touches, it's going to stain it red. But these have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and they have been made white. And the picture is purity. The picture is purity. Who's in God's book? Those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Said another way is over in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Of Jesus it says, He loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Who are these standing before the throne? Those who have had their sins washed by the blood of the Lamb. I know that happens in baptism according to Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 in other places. But in Acts 22 and verse 16, Saul was asked, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Where are your sins washed away? In baptism. That's where you meet the blood of Christ. That's where our robes are made white. Now, I know that this is a picture of purity and forgiveness. I'm not going to turn over to chapter 19, but you can look at that picture of white and victory. And those things are connected in Revelation 19, verses 11 and 14. So those who have washed their robes are made white, the Bible says in verse number 5. They're clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. This morning, remember, we talked about the tree of life. Here's the book of life, and this is what else the Bible has to say about it from the the book of Revelation. Over in chapter 20, the judgment scene is pictured, and John is just writing down whatever he sees. And this is what he sees in Revelation 20 in verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and and the books were opened. This is a summary of people's lives, by the way. The books were opened. God is keeping track of, of our lives and what we do. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Why do I want my name in the book of life? Because I want to avoid the fire. 
Jesus says, I'll give you every reason you need to do the first works, to be on fire for me, to do what I have commanded you to do. I will not blot out your name from the book of life. And what he says is, I will confess you before my Father. That's what I want, don't you? That's the reward He promises to those who overcome. You know that word overcome is a really important word in the book of Revelation. It's found 17 times. Conquer, overcome, stay faithful to me. Don't give this up. It's too big. It's too important. I don't want to blot out your name from the book of life. Stay with me, Jesus would say. Philadelphia. That's where we go next, beginning in verse number 7. Again, a brief summary of this book tells us, beginning in verse number 8, that Jesus says, I know your works, and I have set before you an open door, and no one can open it, or no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I just want to say this in passing because it's too good not to. Jesus says in in verse number 7, you want to know who I am? I'm the one who opens and no one can shut. I'm the one who can shut a door and no one can open it. I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the door. I am the door. And you're not going to get in without me. That's just Jesus saying it like it is. Don't you appreciate that? I just like somebody who says it like it is. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. I'm telling you, you're not going to get to heaven without me. Don't you think that you can get there on your own? Don't you think that that there's another side door that you're going to find to get into? It's not going to happen. You don't get in without Jesus. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. Jesus would say, I am the way, truth, and the life. And no one, did you catch it? No one gets to the Father except by me. That's it. And that's what he's telling these, these people, these Christians there in the city of Philadelphia. I'm it. I'm your only way. Stay with me. That's the encouragement that we find in verse number 11. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Don't let anybody take your crown. You know, the devil, he works in so many wonderful ways, according to him. And I think one of the greatest ways that the devil works is through personal relationships. Jesus says, don't let anybody take your crown. You see, no, no one can actually take my crown. I'm the one who has control over my crown. You have control over your crown. You have a crown waiting for you, Jesus says, if you'll be faithful to me. And so he's saying, don't let anybody, don't let any relationship you have in this life, don't let anybody come in and try to take your crown from you. You stay with me. I'll see you all the way through to the end. Hold fast. Stay where you are. Do not give up this relationship. I suppose tonight we could go around this auditorium and we could picture where people sit And we could picture as we went around this room tonight, we could picture where people used to sit. Where they used to sit. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? 
Jesus says, don't let anybody take your crown. You stay with me. You don't go anywhere. I will see you through to the end. You stay put. That's what he's telling these brethren. Don't let the devil get the upper hand. You stay with me. And this is the promise that he makes in verse number 12. To he who overcomes, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Permanent name and residence. Listen to me. That's what we have to look forward to. Jesus says, a permanent name and residence. I find it so fascinating that just a few verses prior to this promise, Jesus has called this congregation weak. He's called them weak. Perhaps He is saying, you are small in number. Small small in number can still do great and mighty things. But to those that He once referred to as weak, now He says, you're going to be a pillar. You're going to support... You're going to stand where I put you. You're going to be a pillar in my Father's house. I'll take it. I'll be there. I will stand there and Jesus says, what's He say in verse number 12? I'll make Him a pillar in the temple of my God. And the next phrase is so important. You see it? He shall go out no more. You see it? He shall go out no more. And what he's saying is, it is permanent. That's a fixture. That's where you're going to be. You're going to be in my Father's house and you will never have to leave. That sounds okay to me, doesn't it, you? You just don't have to leave. You can just stay there forever. How about in my Father's house? He says, uh, I'm going to give you the family name. We talked about that this morning. I'm not going to rehash it, but... I'm going to give you the family name. You're going to carry the name of my father. That's going to be your residence. You're going to belong there. You're not going to be an outsider. You're going to be a very much an insider. You're going to have my family name. I'm going to give you the name of my father's uh, city. The new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven. You're going to be a citizen there. People are going to say, what's your name? I'm going to say, I belong to God. They're going to ask, where are you from? Isn't that what we ask? What's your name? Where are you from? What's your name? I, I, I have God's name. Where are you from? I'm from God's city. That's where my citizenship is. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be there. That's where we're looking at. And all of this, Jesus says, is possible because of my name. Because of what I've done. This is possible because of my new name that I have given you. It's not because of us, but very much because of Him. We'll never have to leave because that's where we belong, Jesus is saying. I think that's just a wonderful promise. A permanent name and a permanent residence. You don't have to worry about friends getting up and moving. You don't have to worry about family up and and leaving you. You can just all stay together forever in the house of God. I think that's a wonderful promise. Here's the final one tonight. This is the one that gets a lot of attention, I suppose. Laodicea. Laodicea is one of those where, well, there is no commendation, is there? Jesus really doesn't have anything positive to bring out about this congregation. He said, I I know you and I know what you're about, and I'm just going to go right into 
Well, the negative. All right, the, con- the condemnation. I- I'm just going to tell you the way I see it. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor or cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold nor hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> I-, I suppose it just doesn't get any worse. Than, than being all of those things. What are they? A wretched, a miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But if you had asked any of these brethren, you know what they would say? Well, I'm none of those things. None of those words, it seems, would have come out of their mouth. Hey, would you describe for me the congregation in Laodicea? That congregation that you're a part of? Uh, tell me about y'all. They would never use any of those words. I can almost guarantee it. Because that is not at all how they perceived themselves. Uh, We are rich. We are wealthy. I mean, we have all of these riches and all of this wealth. Uh, We have need of nothing. We are good. Everything here is great. As if that would save them. Jesus says, no. You're miserable, poor, wretched, and blind. You are none of those things that you think that you are. And so the encouragement is found in beginning in verse number 18. I counsel you to buy from me. That's important. Underline it. That you buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You all are blind to the truth. You need me. But then he says this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Do you want to know what the reward is? The promise is found in verse number 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know what the promise is? You can say it how you want, but this is how I'll say it. I'm going to provide for you a relationship with royalty. You can sit with me on my throne. If you'll overcome, you can sit with me on my throne as I overcome, overcame and I sit down with my Father on His throne. Who sits on the throne? Royalty. Royalty sits on the throne. Who gets to sit on the throne? Children of royalty. They get to sit on a throne. Tonight, a throne may not interest you at all. It really doesn't interest me. I'm not interested in sitting on a throne. I don't care if I ever or never sit on a throne. But that's not really the point that Jesus is making. I want you to think about this with me because it's really important that we get it. These people in Laodicea were wealthy. I mean, they had lots of riches. And they were pretty sure that those riches were going to go ahead and just usher them into heaven as if God needs our money. He doesn't. But these were wealthy individuals. What would appeal to a wealthy individual? Perhaps prestige, power, 
You know what Jesus says to these people? I'm going to come and knock on your door. If you open it, the king is going to dine with you at your table. You want to eat with the king? You know, I think what Jesus is ultimately saying is, I know you, and I want a relationship with you. I want an intimate, personal relationship with you. I'm afraid sometimes maybe we run away from expressions like that because it is overused by our friends in the religious world, a personal relationship with Jesus. And people will be saved because they have a personal relationship with Jesus. I am saying that Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. wants a personal relationship with me. Who am I that a king would want to have a relationship with me? What do I have to offer? And I think, again, what Jesus is so clearly pointing out here is a relationship. I want a relationship with you. I want you to know that I am not royalty that sits up on my high throne and I'm just aloof. I want you to know that I sit on my throne and I don't care. He's saying this very opposite of who I am. I'm coming down to knock on your door to have a relationship with you. Because I am not aloof. Because I do care. Because I am caring and kind. I died for you. And I want to be up close and personal with you. Can you begin to imagine what heaven will be like? With the king who sits on the throne. Who looks at me and calls me by my name. And Adam, I know everything about you. Adam, I want you to know I died for you. Adam, I want you to know that I've seen every struggle you've gone through in your life. Adam, I've seen every decision you've made, and you made some poor ones, man. Some poor ones. But with my help, we did it. We did it. And here you are, a child of the king, a relationship with royalty. I don't know, brethren, if this has been helpful to you, but I think it's important for us to look at what Jesus says is waiting. He's dealing with all of these members of the church. He sees all of the persecution that's going on in the first century. He sees everything that they're enduring. He sees the good things and he he builds them up and he's striving to build them up and encourage them to continue to do those good things. But he says, I also see what you're really struggling with. I see the changes that you need to make. And he's begging, isn't he, to make those changes. Make those changes, please, because I don't want to blot out your name from the book of life. I, I don't want you to fail this. I died for you and I came to save you and I want you to be with me. The encouragement, go to heaven. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. He never promises a life of ease. He never promises a life without trouble. But He makes great and precious promises to those who will be faithful to Him through this life.
I know you're not going to be perfect, he says. I know that you're going to struggle. I know that this isn't going to be easy for you. I'm not promising a life of ease, but I am promising. I'm promising a home with me. Let's go home. Let's just go home. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, there's no reason not to be. There's no reason not to, not to go to heaven, my friend. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus says, I don't want you to miss it. I've done everything that I can do. Tell me, when you look at this, does this sound too good to be true? It does, doesn't it? And when we hear that expression, that's just too good to be true. What do we often do? We turn away from it. It's just too good to be true. Who's the one making the promise, though? It is too good to be true. But Jesus is the one making the promise, not me. And because Jesus is the one who's making the promise, an eternal, all-powerful, all-loving God, well, you can just take it to the bank. They'll all come true. Tonight, are you a child of God? These promises are made to people who are faithful children of God. Tonight, there's no reason for you not to be. Jesus has done everything He can do for you. What will you do to Him, for Him in response? Tonight, will you come to Him, believing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, a willingness to repent of sin in your life, a willingness to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God? Are you ready tonight to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Tonight, you can be found to be a child of God. And you can be a recipient of these precious promises if you'll be faithful until death. Tonight, perhaps as a child of God, and I know most of you sitting here tonight are Christians, perhaps as a child of God tonight, there's something amiss in your life. You say, you know what, Jesus, He he just described me to a T as He was uh, talking about some of the, the condemnation. I need to respond tonight. I need my brethren to pray for me. That's all I want to do. Because we love each other, right? We want to help each other get home. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, the Lord's invitation is extended. All you need to do is come forward, please, while together we stand and while